Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. church. My name is David. For those of you who don't know me, one of the pastors here on staff, and I got the privilege to preach to you guys today. We've got about 30, 35 minutes, so we're going to have to get after it. Um, this, there's a lot to cover here, but to get you to that point, so about, I don't know, a couple months ago, I started following this doctor on Instagram. I can't pronounce his last name. Anything more than two syllables is out of my vocabulary. So uh, this guy's last name is crazy long. But I started following him. He's all about fitness. And he's always talking about, like, you need to be outside some. You need to make sure you're eating proper. All the stuff that goes along with just, like, being healthy. But one of the things he harps on is having a deficiency in, like, vitamins and minerals. Like, the, people just don't naturally take in enough of those in their everyday diet. So, like, it's intriguing to me. So, like, I bought this pink Himalayan salt off Amazon, and my wife's like, what the, what is this? I'm like, we need salt, more salt, I'm, and this salt. The guy said so. It's on Instagram. <laughs> so, like, like, you got to have this stuff, and, like, I, I do use it now. I don't know if it's helping or not. We'll see in a few months, right? But, if you have a deficiency in any vitamins or minerals, there's things that can happen to your body. You start to break down, and here's some things. I didn't know this. So I, this is what happens when you go down a rabbit hole of my life. Um, <laughs> vitamin deficiencies. You can have brittle hair. Nails uh, will become brittle. You'll have ulcers in your mouth, bleeding gums, poor night vision, scaly patches on your skin, hair loss, bumps on your skin, and restless leg syndrome, just to name a few. Like, that's kind of scary. So basically, your body's going to start breaking down. You're going to get kind of weak and feeble. But here's where I'm going with this. Last two weeks, we've looked at the seven churches. I did the last three. Corey did the first four. And what we saw in each of these churches, there was usually getting a correction. They were lacking something. They had a flaw. They had became weak and feeble because they had a deficiency. They had a deficiency of the grandeur of God, a love for God for some. There was just something missing in them. And because of that, they became weak. Some of them literally dead appeared as though they were alive, Scripture said, but they were dead. And so American theologian Timothy George, he says this concerning this very thing. In much contemporary theology today, the note of God's grandeur, greatness, and glory that so fills the Bible is noticeably missing. Such theology suffers from a doctrinal deficit. So they're lacking in their worship of God. They're lacking in just their awe of who God is, and it will lead to a deficiency that will only lead to being weak and feeble and useless for God. And so today, my hope is this, is that each of you as individuals leave here in awe of who God is as we look at Revelation 4 and unpack it, because it is this, this amazing picture, this amazing glimpse into who God is and how all creation worships him and what that worship looks like. But I would ask you, are we deficient in our worship of God? Are we deficient in our, just our theology as we look at God and say, wow, this is who he is? Our big idea for today is this, a glimpse of our God. So just a glimpse, just a minor look, a glimpse of our God gives us a complete hope. 
So we don't get the full picture here in this text. Like there's just these windows, as Corey's described, that John is looking through. If I, I, I said in the first service, I can look out those two windows in that door and I can, all, I can see all the way to 159, but yet I cannot see everything that's taking place outside. I don't know everything that's happening because I just have a glimpse through that. It tells me enough to know that there's cars still driving by on 159, but that is all I know. And so when we get a glimpse here, it's just a small glimpse of God's glory, but yet it should give you a complete hope, a complete hope of what is to come and know that he is reigning and he is victorious and he is sitting on his throne and all things will be redeemed and put to the way they are supposed to be. That is good news for most of us in this room and most of us watching online. For those of us who are not in Christ, this is not good news. Once he is there, you're not there if you're not in Christ. We'll get to that. But I want you to see that this is where we're heading. This is where worship of God is heading to. Um, for some of us, this is where we really need to camp out as we go move into Revelation more. And here's why. Because in Revelation, as we start to get in this imagery and the different things happening, some of us are getting very anxious, nervous, maybe sad and scared. It could bring up a lot of emotions because it's the end of times. Not literally right now. I'm not saying that. But yeah, and that's what Revelation will be pointing to in the, in the chapters that come. But when you look back to chapter 4, this should give you a confidence of where it will end up. Corey Ten Boom, who was a lady who hid Jews from the Nazis, says this, There is no panic in heaven. God has no problems, only plans. His plan is for us to worship him one day. So I do not want this to create panic for you, but to know that God's perfect plan is for you to worship him one day with all creation. So let's not have a deficiency of the nature of God. Let's see who he is and dig into it. So the first thing we see is a glimpse at God. Now, as we dig into this, here, here's the deal. We can get lost in the woods really quick. You know, you can start going down a path, and there's a lot of trees and a lot of details in this. And if we get lost in the woods, we're going to miss it. So we need to have this 30,000-foot view of the whole forest so we can take it all in and understand who he was and who he is and who he's going to be. And so this first glimpse that we see is this, is of God. Now, this isn't John's first glimpse at God. This is his third glimpse at God, actually. See, when he was walking with Jesus as one of the 12 disciples, and Jesus was here before his death, burial, and resurrection, he takes Peter and John and James up to this mountain, and there's this transfiguration where Jesus is in all of his glory, and he's talking to the saints of old, and Peter, who can never shut his mouth, he's like, what should we do? Should we build a tent? Because he wants to shield himself from this glory of Jesus that is shining in almost all of it. If it was in everything, they probably would died like that instantly. They would have just been done, but yet they don't know what to do, so they're there. So John has experienced that. And then in Revelation 1, we see that John has encountered Jesus, and what happens? It says that he fell as if he was dead, dead, face down, and Jesus comes up with his right hand and puts his right hand on him and says, it's okay. I got you. And now here, it says in, in verse 1 that he, after this, I looked. So after the seven churches... I looked, and behold, there's a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, so the voice of Jesus, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. So just his voice is just booming. Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And so he comes up into heaven, and he sees Jesus. 
And it says that he sees him seated on a throne. He is majestic. He is ruling. He is reigning. He is king of the universe. Here, sitting there. No one else. Him. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Carnelian. So there's these two stones that this is how he appears to John. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that he is a, it looks like he's built out of stone, but he appears to this magnitude to John. So let's break it down. Why Jasper? Well, Jasper is a red stone, and it, it, it's showing and symbolizing majesty, holiness, purity. That's who God is. He is majestic. He is perfect. He is holy. We are to strive to be holy like our Father in heaven is holy, but yet we fail until we're made perfect with him one day. But he is holy now, and he will be holy then. He is pure. And it, like, you know, all of us in this room who are, are married, you know, you, the husband you went and you shopped for a diamond ring, right? And you go, and they, they got all those different grades of the diamonds, and, and yeah, it's, it blows your mind. Like, you don't even know, how, I, don't, I didn't even know all that stuff existed. I just thought, like, the either small or big, like, but there's a whole lot more that goes into it. And so, but this is like the purest of gems, the purest of jewels. It's there. It's pure. That's who God is. And then you get to the carnelian, another gem that is red. This represents his wrath. There's judgment. See, for all of perfection to happen, for everything to be complete, there will be his final judgment poured out onto the earth, onto those who have rejected his gospel and yet he cannot be perfect and holy and righteous and then lack in perfection in his wrath and judgment. That is the reality that we sit in. I mean, it's a harsh reality. It's a hard reality. It's not one that I say lightly. It's like, oh, you know, people will face it. it is, it's sad that that is the, but the, but the truth because we have rebelled against this God who sits on the throne. But as we read more, then we see that there's a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. I mean, this is so cool. Like, it's mind-blowing because what we see then is that this is a covenant-keeping God. He is a promise-keeping God. He is faithful. He is true. He is reliable. And he is saying, I've got all this. I've done what I said I was going to do because the rainbow is a sign of a covenant from Noah. And he's pointing us all back to that saying, I'm going to fulfill all my promises. And it's also pointing us to new creation. Now, what's cool about all this is that it's the story of God from the beginning to the end, really, because in Exodus 28, 17 through 20, this is really neat. These two stones of Jasper and Cornelian are the first and last stones of 12 stones in the breastplate of the high priest. So think about this. Thousands of years before this is ever written, this is what the high priest is wearing with these stones in it because it's pointing to Jesus. Everything is pointing to Jesus. He wins. He's victorious. He is the high priest, the best priest. He's better than any other pastor or priest that's ever stepped foot behind the pulpit. He's it. He's it. And so when you see all these things together, these stones, the rainbow, what it is doing is this, it's a, this little hint at new creation. See, those stones are mentioned also in Revelation 21 with the new heaven and a new earth. And this is where we're heading, is to this earth, those heavens being made new, being restored, back to the original plan of perfection where everything was in order. And so the rainbow then with those stones that are mentioned in Revelation 21 is pointing to that new creation happening. This is a beautiful picture of who God 
is. And what the cool thing is, is we get to worship him. We are also commanded to worship him. Where do I get this idea that we're commanded to worship him? Well, it says that he is one seated on the throne. Not a throne, not of like how you see later. The the, uh, elders are seated on the thrones. Like this is the throne, the one major throne, the throne of the God of the universe. He's seated there. And so we get to worship that king. We get to. And I just, man... There is not another king worth worshiping. Like so often we will, we will praise and, and sing the praises of so many people and leadership or in uh, celebrities, but yet this is the only person, the only being, the only God who is worthy of our praise like this. And so who worships this king? That's our next thing that we get to see is we get a glimpse of God's people. We get a glimpse of God's people. And when we read in verse 4, it says around the throne. So around the throne of God, there's 24 thrones. And seated on those thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. So who the heck are these 24 elders? Most scholars would agree that they represent the fullness of God's people. The fullness of God's people. You have the 12 patriarchs, the 12 heads of every tribe of Israel. There's 12 tribes of Israel. So someone representing every tribe of Israel. And then you have the 12 apostles. So it's encompassing all of God's people from before Jesus, before the new covenant, to after Jesus. Now when I say before and after Jesus, I don't mean his existence. I just mean his earthly reign or his earthly life here, born of a virgin, die on the cross, resurrected, ascending to heaven. Okay. So obviously not him and he's not created. He is before all things and through him, all things are created. You guys know that. So we'll just keep moving along. So this is representing everyone, the heads of those tribes and 12 apostles. Now here's the cool thing. If you look at first Chronicles, King David this shows how important numbers are to God and how his story is interwoven through all of, all of history. It, King David has set up things, and in First Chronicles, you can read that he has 24 orders of priests, 24 Levitical priests, 24 gatekeepers, 24 Levitical worship leaders. This is God's plan, a perfect and complete kingdom that he reigns in, that we get to be part of, because we are part of God's people. And then Revelation 21, it mentions the patriarchs and the 12 apostles who together represent this church universally. universally. So this is amazing for us to consider because it shows that there's a place in heaven for you and for me. Because so often we, we would we would think, is there really a place for me in this? I've done this. My life looks like this. I'm not like David or Corey or Jeff or whoever, Mark. I'm not like that person. or I'm not like so-and-so in my missional community. I really don't know that I have a place before that throne because of my past. Do you know who these men are that are representing God's people? They were, the 12 apostles were kind of wild fishermen, who he called up, and tax collectors. Tax collectors were like the scum of the earth. They were traitors, They were not the men that you would think, like, man, they were the upstanding citizens of the culture back then. They were not. The the tribal leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel, they they were a mess too. There was prostitution and and turning to God or turning to other gods and sacrificing their kids. And they were a mess. If, If you were here, as we did lest we turn, 
in 2021, you would know. Like, the, Israel was constantly rebelling against God. And the people leading it were those tribal leaders. They weren't the ones like saying, calling them to repent. God had to raise up prophets to send and say, hey, fix this. You're messed up. So when you sit here today and you think, man, I don't know if I got a place in that kingdom to worship, there's a reason why they're the ones that are representing you. They're representing me because we're all messed up. And yet God said, you know what? As messed up as you are and you're in your sin, I love you enough that I'm going I'm to come, I'm going to take on flesh, I'm going to die for you in your place. And now when you're in your sin, he's not looking at you and regretting it. It's like, man, I didn't think that was going to happen. Gosh dang it. If I'd have known they were going to sin like that, I would have I never saved them. No. He's looking. He's like, I knew they were going to do that. I knew how messed up they were going to be. And he doesn't regret saving you. He doesn't. He never will. Because this is where we're going. It's all of creation worshiping him, all of God's people worshiping him. And the reason he doesn't regret it is because when he looks at you, when he looks at me, when he looks at those 24 elders, he doesn't see them as the messed up people that we read about in the Bible or the messed up people that make up this room or watching on Facebook Live. No, because why? Because they're covered in white garments. They're covered in white garments that show their purity, their holiness, their sinlessness, not because of anything they've done, but because of everything Jesus has done. He takes his righteousness, his holiness, his purity, and he imputes it to them. And he says, here, let me clothe you. You can't, you can't buy clothes like this. You can't get pure clothes. Yours are stained with sin, but I'm going to wash the sins away with my blood. And then you can come and you can sit before me because I couldn't be in the presence of them if they, were, if they still had sin. And then what's neat is they have these crowns on their heads. They have these crowns on their heads that they're getting to wear and we'll, we'll break this down more about what they do with the crowns and how they throw them at the feet of Jesus. But they have these crowns that they've been given for their works here. Works that they didn't even have to come up with. Works that he created for you to do before time ever began. And he gives you all the giftings and all the abilities and all the possibilities and everything set before you to walk in. And then he says, hey, since you were obedient, let me crown you with this. Let me crown you with this because you're a royal priesthood. You're not just some people. You're not just a group of heights community. You are a royal priesthood sitting on thrones with crowns on your heads, getting to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. That's who's worshiping him. So we get a glimpse of that. We get a small glimpse of how all this starts to play together. This is what awaits us. And what I love about this is it points to God's universal kingdom. There are people from different tribes here different groups of people, different types of people. This is pointing to every tribe, every nation, every tongue being present. It is the fulfillment of Matthew 24, 14. That this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the nations and the end will come. This has to happen, so that would happen. That's good. That's where we get to be. But it's not just God's people who are worshiping him, but it's also his creation. So we get a glimpse of God's creation. We get a glimpse of God's creation. So before we unpack the creatures that we're going to read about, I just want you to see verse 6. I love verse 6. It, was, it stood out to me. It was probably the, the verse of all of these 11 verses this week that just spoke to me the most. And it says this. And this is part of his creation. It says, And before the throne there was as it, as, was as it were a sea of glass like crystal. And here's why this is so cool. Everywhere in the Bible, the imagery of sea is a turmoil of unrest, 
of uneasiness, of danger. It is a warning that things are not good, were not good before, are going to get bad. Like it is not where you want to be. If they, any contemporary reader of this of this time understood what the significance of the sea being like glass was. Many of us in this room, Jeff just talked about how he was in Florida. So every day when he would walk out on the beach, they probably had what, a flag up there on the beach. And it would be green or yellow or orange or purple or red. And they all have different meanings, a jellyfish or two hard waves or whatever, current, things you can't see. Not here. There's no flag. It is perfect. It is like glass. It is so pristine. There is no turmoil. There is no uneasiness. There is no unrest. And then here's the cool thing. Some of you have been to some of the most pristine beaches in the world in this room or watching online. Probably better beaches than I'll ever go to. And you're like, the water's crystal clear. You got to go to this beach. It's just, I can see everything. All you can see is your feet. Cool. It ain't glass. It's not like this. It's not like crystal. Because you know why? Because fish done did their business up in that water. It ain't pure. <laughs> it ain't pure. But this is. It's perfect. It's made perfect. And so today, whatever you're going through, whatever ever flow of your life that you're in right now, know this. There's shalom coming. There's peace coming. Because he's going to make everything right. It's going to be perfect. All the kids we talked about in foster care when Jeff was up here, perfect. They're going to be fatherless. They're going to be parentless. It's going to be perfect because there's going to be peace. Where there has not been peace, God is going to bring peace because all creation will worship him, all of it. And that's what we see with these different creatures. So the first creature, and let me break this down too, it says there's four living creatures full of eyes front and behind. Why are all these eyes there? I don't know exactly how many eyes are there. doesn't fully say. But what I can tell you, this is the eyes do show God's omniscience and his omnipresence. He knows all things. He sees all things. He's everywhere. He's not lacking. He is not just here. He is currently here. He's in Africa. He's in Indonesia. He's in the Middle East. He is present everywhere, all still while sitting on his throne. And so that is who God is. And so that shows us that with those creatures having all those eyes. And the first living creature, it says, is like a lion. So it is like a lion. Why like a lion? Well, first, it shows God's perfect authority. It shows his perfect authority. There is not an animal on land that anyone will mess with, like they, or try not to mess with like they would a lion. Like that is the most ferocious, the most powerful. That thing will destroy you. You don't, like if you go messing with a lion in a cage, you will end up on an Instagram video and you'll be viral and I will be watching and either laughing at you or really sad because it's not gonna end well. Like it's not gonna, you don't mess with lions. Like they are the royalty. They are the king of all animals. And so there's a reason why it's there. But it also, because what it does by them being the king of all animals and pointing to God's perfect authority over all things, is that it shows that all of wild creation will completely worship God. All of it, under his authority, will perfectly worship him in eternity past. And when it's coming, it's, that's where it is heading to. Next, we see a creature like an ox. So this shows God's perfect activity and service. And they didn't have tractors thousands of years ago. They had ox. And they would strap 
ox, the piles to ox, and they would haul things with ox. That's what they did to get things done. Ox were there to serve our purposes and to get jobs done, to be active. They were domesticated. And so what this shows is that God is perfect in his service and activity towards his people. That's what he does. He serves our people. He is the only king, the only king who is perfect in his service to his people. There are kings who, when they do, or leaders, when they do serve their people, it is only for their better gain. It is not for this, the pure gain of the people. It is always with an ulterior motive to get what they want and to move things towards their agenda. Not this God. His agenda is already set. He does not need to keep us happy to achieve his agenda. So any service he does for us is out of the goodness and love of his own heart. It is not so he can accomplish his goal. His goal is set. It is done. He will win. He has won. So he is perfect, and that's why it shows the ox. But it also shows that all domesticated creation will be worshiping him. All domesticated. So your dog won't be in heaven. Sorry to break that to you. Probably won't be there. Don't believe that. There's, they don't have a soul. But I bet you there will be dogs in heaven, so you'll get a new dog. So it'd be cool. So I'm sorry you won't get your dog, but you're going to get a new dog. All right? Cats, you're out of luck. Won't be cats. Not going to happen, okay? So I, I got a cat at home. I'm not going to see any cats. Doesn't, he made me mad this morning, so it's all good. Like, I'm not too sad right now because he, he ticked me off. So, yeah, but they're all domesticated animals, worshiping God perfectly. The next, what we see, this is interesting because they've been saying a creature like a lion, a creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man. It doesn't say like a man. It says the face of a man. Why? Because man is the pinnacle of God's creation. We are the only of his creation that's created in his image who has a soul who will be with him forever and ever worshiping him. But it also shows that God's intelligence, his rationale, his spiritual aspects, because we get all that from God. And so that's pointing to this. It's pointing to every man, every woman, all who have ever lived and ever been created will bow a knee to worship him. Philippians 2, 9 and 10 says, every knee shall bow before God. So regardless of where you stand with God today and you think, well, I am not surrendering to him, I'm not worshiping him, you will bow a knee to him one day. You just may do it with a lot of regret that you didn't do it sooner in this life. There is not a second chance there is not a, a one last, you know, stop at the, at the re- repentance counter and, and like before the end of time. Like it doesn't happen that way. If you don't repent and surrender to Jesus now, you will still bow a knee to him in creation because that's what this is pointing to, but it will be too late. You will do it reluctantly and you will do it with a lot of sorrow because you know that your destiny is set and it will not be with him. It will not be here. It will be where his wrath is poured out for all of eternity. And so today is a day to think, like, man, is this the God I want to spend eternity with? Because some of us will bow that knee happily. We will be pumped to bow that knee. We will be like John. We will fall on our face as if dead, completely surrendered to God, and just be like, man, I've been waiting for this day to get here. I cannot believe it. We get to do this for all of eternity? Sweet, let's go. Like, that's where we're going to be. And so when John, he sees all this, he's just taking it all in, but there's still one more creature. It's the eagle. Says a fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. It's showing God's dignity, his swiftness, his deity. 
Like eagles usually are a symbolism, a deity. And so it's showing all that, but it's also showing that all the birds of the air, everything's flying around, it's all gonna worship him too, not just the stuff on the ground, everything. So the point of this is this. All of it, all of creation from, from the sea to the animal in the air, to the animals in the sea, every, every last bit of it, back to the way it was supposed to be at creation, worshiping him. So now God's creation's perfectly worshiping him. There's not anything wrong. They're shouting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. This is it. So this is where we're going. And Adrian Rogers, I love that he's a famous preacher. He says this about the four creatures. They're God's cheerleaders. They're cheering him on. That's what we get to do. It's what we did earlier. Literally, we were like God's cheerleaders, singing songs of praise to him. And I want you to see like what they're doing here. This is what creation is doing. If you do not like singing here, you will not enjoy heaven. Like you're going to be singing a lot. You're going to, you're, you're like, man, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to be here. We'll, we'll get to that in a second. I'm getting off my notes. Man, I got to stay focused. Last point is this, is we get a glimpse of worship. What does this worship look like? Well, it does look like singing. Because the four living creatures, they're, they're crying out, holy, 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 without ceasing. This is going on day and night. And you think, okay, well, why so many times? Well, in Hebrew, the double repetition of a word adds emphasis. The triple repetition of a word, that is of the utmost importance now. They're saying, you better focus on what I'm saying. It is the infinite holiness of God that they're trying to display to all creation who can hear. They're calling back to one another. Holy, holy, holy is our Lord God Almighty. It's important. There's a reason why it's written the way that it's written. John didn't just like run out of words. He wanted to emphasize that word of who God is. So all creation is worshiping in its own way. The wind blowing, the sea, the waves crashing now, all that is all speaking to God. There's sounds in space echoing out throughout the universe, out through the Milky Way from planet to planet, and it's all in worship to God right now and into eternity. And all creatures, as they call, from one another, call to one another, worshiping God. And so these elders, we see them there worshiping God as well. It says that they were seated on the throne, and they worship him who lives forever. They cast their thrones before him, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by you, but, and by your will they existed and were created. So they start off seated on these thrones, and it says that they fall down before him, this is so important for us. Our posture before God matters. Like sometimes we come in here, and I'm going to hit on this, this hour and a half that we spend here on Sundays together. Sometimes we come here, and our posture is, why wasn't there someone on the keyboards today? That would have made a whole much better worship experience if, I would have had a, if we would have had a keyboardist. Well, guess what? Go learn the dang keyboard then. Because we didn't have a keyboardist today because we only have one in our church. But my point being is this, is that if you make it about you, like, oh, I really wish we had that. I wish we'd had a full set of drums. I wish we, why? Your posture before God is that you're getting to worship him. It is not here for your pure enjoyment. That is not it. We have to realize our posture before God needs to be one of, my gosh, I get to sing songs about how great he is and how much he loves me? That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you that I get to come in to do that. 
yeah, you're not going to think, oh, that's my favorite song, every song that they sing. Of course not. That would be weird. Like, this, they're not here, though, for you. Because then we would be here to worship you. And that, then we should go home. We shouldn't do that. You shouldn't worship me. But our posture before God isn't just here. Because it should be at our missional community. God, sometimes our, our attitude is, eh, I don't really want to go. I don't want to be there. I don't want to be in, in, around everybody. I'm, I'm over that today. I'm over that for this month. Why? Because your posture before God is that your time is more valuable to you and you don't want to give any of it to him. But then our posture before God can even become how we use God's name. Some of us use it as slang. Some of us use it as cuss words. That is not okay. Like that's not a posture before a God who is holy and righteous and sitting on his throne. That's just our attitude towards him is like, meh, whatever. Their posture is falling down on their face falling down on their face and then throwing crowns at him. We need to have more reverence for who God is. Our posture should be one of awe and surrender before him. Now, they take these crowns and they cast them at his feet. These crowns, they were given to God, by God to them. They, they did not take anything from God. God did not owe them that. God gives them those crowns to reward them for the work that they've done. And now they take them and they throw them back at his feet. And here's why. Because God expects your first and your best. He expects your first and your best of your money, of your time, of your giftings, of your relational capacity, of your emotions, the first and the best. I said in the first service, if you know me, and some of you do, some of you can work out with me at 5.30 in the morning, you know that I am not this David at 5.30 in the morning. I am a quieter, sort of grouchy David at 5.30 in the morning. I'm not a morning person. You want to know when I hit my peak? 4 p.m. You want to know what I do at 4 p.m. every day? I work out in my garage. Why? Because I'm selfish, and I want to do that first. What I should do is make 4 p.m. more centered around God because that's when I'm at my best. So there's a confession for you of how I see myself just saying, nah, I don't know if I want to give you my first and my best, God. I'm going to give you, like, my second or my third. I will say this, like, when it comes to money, and we talked about this, the capital campaign series, like, we, sometimes we, we'll sit there and we'll try to get down to the nuances. Like, well, am I supposed to tithe off my net or my gross? Am I supposed to do this? Like, we're becoming what the Israelites were. Like, instead of taking, like, a lamb that they're supposed to take or a goat that they're supposed to take, they're like, wow, that one was born with three legs. Grab that one and let's go to the temple and sacrifice that. That's not your first and your best. And I'll say this. Show me your budget and I'll show you who you worship. Show me your budget and I'll show you who you worship. That's the reality of it. Like, where we spend our money will really demonstrate where we have our worship at. And so we need to have this posture where we would throw all of it at the feet of Jesus. These elders saw it as an honor. And so today, as we look at all this, my question to you is, what is your posture before God? You're a part of this creation. You're a part of, you're encompassed in these four creatures do you see yourself as worshiping him, calling out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty? Have you given him your first and your best in your worship? And your worship isn't just here. It's in everything that you do. And so I'm gonna pray for us. Corey and, the, and Mark and Brianna, they're gonna come back up. They're gonna, they're gonna just call us to a time to response and we're gonna sing to him. We're gonna get to worship him. So let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for just a glimpse into eternity of what heaven will be like. Lord, I pray that everyone in this room and everyone watching online, 
we'll experience that because of a change of heart, God, that you, you send your spirit to, to woo them into a relationship with you, Lord. I pray if there's anyone here that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you will break their heart. Honestly, I pray, Lord, that they will not sleep well again until you save them. I pray that they will just be absolutely restless until you move in such a way that they fall on their face and ask you to forgive them of their sins. And God, I just pray that we stay in all of you and all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.